Welcome to the One God Report podcast. We are continuing our discussion of the prologue of the Gospel of John with Rivers of Eden. In this episode, we discuss the famous phrase in John 1.1c, and the word was God. For many Christians, this phrase, and the word was God, is the main biblical evidence for the deity of Jesus Christ. But is it? There are many problems with the deity of Christ interpretation of John 1.1. I currently have a growing list of 12 major problems with the deity of Christ's take on John 1.1. It will take a separate podcast to describe all those problems. In the current podcast, we mention a couple. For instance, the deity of Christ's claim breaks a main rule of biblical interpretation. That rule is we must interpret a less clear passage in light of clear passages. The language in John 1.1 is concise and somewhat obscure. How could it be, after the author distinguished the word from God, in his previous statement, the word was with God, that in the next breath he said, and the word was God. In so many other places in Scripture, the person Jesus Christ is distinguished entirely from God. But the deity of Christ interpretation must ignore all these other scriptures and claim that this statement, one-third of a verse in John 1.1, combined perhaps with another half a verse in John 1.14, that this is proof that Jesus is God and that God is more than one person. No other Old Testament prophet described such a thing. No other gospel writer made such a claim. But then the writer of the Gospel of John comes along and says in a verse or two, Surprise! God is not really one person. He, or really they, are two. Now, rather than break what Jesus called the greatest commandment, that Yahweh your God is one, it would be much better to explore other possible meanings for the phrase, And the word was God. Further, The deity of Christ interpretation of John 1.1 contradicts itself. Deity of Christ interpreters want to say that the word, logos in Greek, of John 1.1 is the eternal second person of the Godhead, the eternal Son. And like John 1.1b says, the word was with God, means that the eternal Son was distinct from, but at the same time with God the Father forever. So let's see if John 1.1 makes sense by substituting eternal Son for the Word in John 1.1. It would be something like this. In the beginning was the eternal Son, and the eternal Son was with the Father, and the eternal Son was the Father. Oops. So even from a deity of Christ perspective, you can't say that the eternal Son was the Father. Another way to state this problem is, if the word for God, theos in Greek, in both John 1.1b and John 1.1c refer to the Father, then the deity of Christ theology is wrong. And we mention a couple of very good reasons why the word God in John 1.1c and the word was God refers to the Father. Another problem with the deity of Christ interpretation of John 1.1 that we mention, is that it does not deal adequately with the past tense of John 1.1. 
Why did John say, and the Word was God? If the Word is the eternal Son, the second person of a Trinity Godhead, why didn't John write, and the Word is God? Was the Word only God in the past? Did the Word cease to be God? So these are only samples of serious problems with the deity of Christ interpretation of John 1.1. We continue in the podcast by suggesting a couple other ways in which the phrase, and the word was God, is better understood. We first explain that John's statement, and the word was God, is not an ontological declaration about divine essence or divine nature of the word, as if the Word was a second person who was simultaneously distinct from God, but shared a divine nature as God. This thinking originated from the second century church fathers who forced Greek philosophical interpretations of the Logos, the Word, onto John's Gospel. These second century church fathers claimed that Jesus, consistent with Greek philosophy, was the pre-existent Logos, who, though a subordinate and secondary God, had emanated from God the Father. Now, in later centuries, the subordinate Logos morphed into a co-equal, co-eternal second person of a Godhead. It is erroneous to interpret John's Gospel from these Greek philosophical constructs. Rivers suggests that the phrase, the word was God, relates to a certain equality that the human Jesus had with God in what Jesus said and did. Jesus was granted a kind of functional equality with God. I understand the phrase, and the word was God. Again, note the past tense, was. The word was God. I understand this phrase as the author looking back and summarizing the whole life of Jesus as event revelation. God made himself known to us through Jesus in events that happened in real time and place. As the last verse of the prologue declares, no man has seen God. The unique Son who is at the side of the Father has explained him. The events of the life of Jesus from John the Baptizer's testimony to the death, resurrection, and exaltation, and everything in between which the author is about to describe, are done and accomplished. And these events show this was God. The accomplished words and events of Jesus were God's revelatory statement. Jesus was God's word. Jesus was God speaking. Jesus was God at work in the world. The human being Jesus, see John 1.14, is the ultimate word or revelatory declaration of God. Like in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, quote, In many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days God has spoken to us by a son. The word of John 1.1 was God's word par excellence. God at work in a mighty way. In the same way that the Old Testament writers can say that God visited his people through historical events, John can look back and say that the whole life of Jesus is a real historical event revelation that declares 
This was God. The Word was God. Another feature of this podcast that I personally enjoyed was River's explanation of the original Greek language and grammatical features of John 1-1-C. Why does the definite article, the word the in English, why does the definite article accompany theos, God, in the original Greek in John 1-1-B, but not with theos in John 1-1-C? Does it make any difference? If so, what was the author's intention in not including the definite article with theos in 1-1-C? Without the definite article in John 1-1-C, could the word God have an adjectival sense, as in the word was divine? Or could it mean something like the word was a God? In Greek, only one word, the word and, separates the two occurrences of God in John 1.1. Would the author intend two different meanings for the same word occurring so close to each other? Again, if God in John 1.1c means the Father, the deity of Christ interpretation fails. After the analysis of the Greek, Rivers concludes there's no reason to argue with the typical traditional translation, quote, and the word was God, unquote. So let's get to the discussion. And the word was God, a commentary on John 1.1c. Okay, so let's move on to John 1.1c. The word was God. This is one of the phrases that Deity of Christ folks will say is just slam dunk evidence that Jesus is another God person. Maybe I can put it that way. In one sentence here, they're going to say that all of a sudden, everything we've learned about Jehovah, Yahweh, in the Old Testament is uh, being tweaked in a huge way. He's not just one person, but he's going to be another person. Because it says here, the word who was with God, distinguished from God in the previous phase, is now said to be God. The word was God. Let me just start out by saying this, Rivers, and I'd like you to comment more about the, the Greek aspects and some of the other ways we can understand this. But I'd suggest that John is not here making an ontological statement. That he's not talking about the essence of Jesus in the sense that he is another God, person who shares in the essence of God. That's not what he's saying here. To read John as making an ontological statement, as if there's another God in addition to the God mentioned in 1.1b, it's to force or to bring in a Greek philosophical idea promoted in the centuries after Jesus onto a first century, I will call it a Hebraic idea. Right? Although the gospel is written in Greek, the gospel of John is a, it's Hebraic thought. So to to have him all of a sudden say the Logos was some other pre-existent lesser God that was with God. And that's how the early church fathers of the second century interpreted it. They didn't interpret this as a co-eternal, co-equal second person of the Godhead. They began to interpret this as a, a lesser, a secondary God who had an emanation from the one true God. So. To interpret this as an ontological statement is to bring a later Greek understanding of what the Logos or who the Logos might be into this text. 
And I think John is saying something else. The other thing I wanted to say is we need to acknowledge that the language here is somewhat obscure. Understand just exactly how the word could be with God, or distinguished from God in 11b, and then 11c, the next phrase, and the word was God. It's not so simple. And we acknowledge that. And here's what I would say is the problem with the deity of Christ and Trinitarian theology is they break one of the main rules of biblical exegesis. They'll take a less clear verse, in this case, maybe a third of a verse, and they're going to put it with a half of a verse in 114 and say, see, Jesus is God. Like, whoa, no prophet in the Old Testament knew that. None of the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, happened to mention anything about it. But along comes this guy, a Galilean, we think, and he says, you know, surprise, surprise, God is really too. No, no, uh-uh. We have lots of other scriptures we need to take into account. And don't create a huge theology in this case, breaking the first commandment that the Lord Yahweh our God is one, with a half a verse here and a third of a verse over there. It's just not good biblical exegesis. So I say all that to say, you know what? Yeah, this is a bit obscure language. This the word was God. But let's not ignore so many other clear statements of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. This man, the book John is going to tell us that Jesus is a man. He's a human being. He's walking around on the surface of this earth. He dies and he was raised from the dead by God. Let's not take a third of a verse from John 1.1 and a half of a verse from John 1.14 and create this huge new theological idea of who our God is. Rivers? Well, I think the first thing that I want to point out, as I did in our previous podcast, Bill, is that there's nothing wrong with the translation. Okay, and the word was God that we have in the New American Standard Bible is the best way to translate it. Okay, there are other ways that it could be translated, but this is the best way to translate it. And the, the right? main issue, if I'm not mistaken, is the fact that you don't have the definite article in front of the word God, which normally you do, right? It's not ha theos, it's just the word was and without the definite article. Whereas the definite article occurs with the word God in the first phrase we saw in 1-1-B, and the word was with God. It's got the definite article. That's one of the big issues with the, in the Greek, correct? Correct. Sometimes, because there's no definite article, there's a definite article in John 1-1-B where it says the word was with God or with the God. Okay, and everyone agrees that that's referring to the Father, as we talked about last time. And the word was God. Now, when you see the word was God, there is no definite article. Now, the important thing to consider here is that we can look at the usage of the numerous times that the term God is used throughout the fourth gospel. And regardless of prepositions and positioning and word order and things like that, the writer of the fourth gospel uses, I think there's about 80 occurrences of God, theos, throughout the fourth gospel. And there's, I believe, 60 or 65 of them that he uses with the article, in other words, the God. And then there's another 20, the other remaining 20, that there is no article. But it's interchangeable, okay? In almost all cases, 
everyone agrees that the use of God refers to the Father as a person. It's not an adjective. It doesn't mean divine or it isn't a quality like deity. It's referring to God the Father. Now, to be fair, the only disputable passages would be John 1.1 and would be John 20.28, where some people think that the use of God there refers to Jesus. But in all other cases, it, nobody disputes that it's referring to the Father, whether it has the article or not. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses in their New World Translation, they're the ones that kind of we associate with translating this, and the word was a God. And that's certainly a plausible translation, because oftentimes when we translate a, a noun that doesn't have an article in Greek, it just becomes indefinite, and we translate it a God. All right, but the problem is, is that there are so many uses of God without the article throughout the rest of the fourth gospel that nobody disputes are referring to the Father, that it really doesn't seem like a good option to put an indefinite article here and take God as being just an indefinite God with a small g. It's just not a good option. And you can see as you go throughout the prologue, there's several other times that God appears without the article. For example, John 1.18, John 1.14, and even the New World Translation doesn't use a God. Okay, because they understand that even though there's no article, the context requires it to be referring to the Father, and it's indisputable. Mm -hmm. So to make an exception here really is, is not the best option. Another thing that's often suggested here is that there's an adjectival sense to this use of God in the third clause. So you might look at it as in the word was divine. The problem with that is similar to a God. There is some precedent for taking uh, a noun without the article in an adjectival sense in Greek grammar, but there's, again, the, the weight of the evidence here, number one, is that everywhere else that theos is used throughout the fourth gospel and pretty much the rest of the New Testament, it's not an adjective. It's being used to refer to a particular person. It's a title for God the Father. The other thing is, is that there were adjectives in Greek that are used in the New Testament for this word God. So it begs the question, if the writer wanted to say divine here or God-like, as Paul did in a couple of his epistles where he actually used the adjective, why didn't the writer just do that? Mm -hmm. Another issue here is the word order in the Greek. When we read the English, like in New American Standard that I'm using, and the word was God, that is the best translation into English because the definite use, the use of the article with the word maintains that the word is still the subject and God is being predicated here. And that's probably the reason that the author doesn't use the article. Mm -hmm. Because if he said, and the word was the God, then it would contradict the previous clause, John 1 1b, that we discussed, where Proston Theon distinguishes the one called the word from the one called God, the God. So I think the writer was careful not to use the definite article with God because then he would be identifying these two individuals. And John 1.1b has already established that they are not identical. And everyone agrees that the in John 1.1b, the God refers to the Father, whether you're a Trinitarian or a Unitarian. So another 
translation that's proposed sometimes is that the word was deity. But that also doesn't make a whole lot of sense here and isn't very common because if God meant deity here, then it really wouldn't make sense of the previous clause because deity can't be with God. Now, another more modern approach, which I'll hear people talk about sometimes, is they'll, they'll say that you can paraphrase this and what God was, the word was. And again, that's a paraphrase. I think a more literal translation is better since that's typically you know, what we follow. And that's why, for example, the New American Standard Bible translators use that. There's nothing wrong with and what God was, the word was, but it doesn't really solve any problems because that still has to be interpreted. Okay, if a Trinitarian interprets it, he's going to like it to mean what nature God was or what being God was, the word was, right? If a Unitarian looks at it, he might say, well, what function God had, the word had. So it doesn't really matter if we translate it what God was, the word was, or, and the word was God, because in any case, it ha the language has to be interpreted. It's very concise, and we have to determine in what sense is the writer associating this one called the word with God. One other thing about the word order, and this is what I meant to mention earlier, is that in the Greek, it actually has the word order, God was the word. Now, the significance of this might be, if you, if you, if you join it with the second clause, and the word was with the God, and God was the word. So think about it. There's The only thing that's in the original Greek that's separating the two uses of theos here, of God, is the word and. Mm -hmm. and, that, and. And with that brevity, it's, it's worth considering that, you know, would the writer really have changed the meaning of, of, of how he was using the word God in a, in a single breath? And let me you know, let me interrupt you a second, Rivers. This is one of the big problems with the deity of Christ interpretation, is they change the meaning of the word God between one one B and one one C, because they're saying the word God in one one B is not the Trinity; it's the Father, and then in one one C they're saying God is, is a so-called eternal Son. They've got to change the meaning of the word God, and I agree with you 100 percent that God in 11B is the same God in 11C. We'll see how in, in just a second, but that's very important. I think deity of Christ people do that without even realizing they're doing it. Assume that God in 11B is the Father, but then God in 11C is this eternal Son. They're switching meaning of the word God there. So keep going. Okay. So our challenge here is to determine in what sense this one that we've established in the first two clauses is a person, a human person, and is in proximity to God. As we looked at the other evidence, Prostantheon associates this one called the Word, Jesus Christ, and his going toward God, his death and resurrection, and where he's going to be after he has ascended into heaven to be in the presence of the Father. Okay, so or where he now, was during his life on earth, too. Uh, right. right. That the word was with God could be a reference to his whole life on earth. Keep going. Okay. So, and the word was God. So we, what we need to do, our challenge is, is to come up with a way of explaining this. 
again, using the intertextual evidence that we have in the prologue and the rest of the fourth gospel and try to understand what the writer meant. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I want to point out, right, we've already established that the best translation is the word was God. And you'll see in most English translations that they just capitalize God because there's no reason really to take this noun for God in John 1.1c any differently than it's taken in John 1.1b, where we all agree it's the Father. But the issue becomes, if you read it as, and the Word was the Father, you run into that issue of identity again with God the Father. It's a good argument for modalism, if anything, not Trinitarianism. Right. A modalist or oneness person would say, oh yeah, of course, the Word is just another mode in which the one God appeared on earth. So it's a good argument for modalism, but not for Trinitarianism. Right. And we've already talked about how the fact that the writer drops the article before Theos in the third clause and the word was God is probably because he's avoiding identifying the one called the word and the one called God because in the previous clause and the word was with the God, he's already distinguished them as two different individuals. Mm -hmm. Let me me say, sorry, can I, I'll interrupt again. No, go ahead. Let me ask and maybe make a suggestion why this phrase is in the past tense. The word was God. Because again, I am usually coming at this uh, and questioning what was the deity of Christ interpretation, and you're making some suggestions for how the typical um, biblical Unitarian interpretation doesn't work. But for, for me, when I look at this, the word was God. And if you're telling me that the Gospel of John is trying to tell me that Jesus is the second person of a, a Godhead. Why was he only God in the past? The word was God. Wouldn't he still be God at the time that John is writing? Why wouldn't he tell us that word is God? Very strange from a deity of Christ perspective that John would say and the word was God as if he ceased to be God at some point. But if John wanted to introduce a second person, the Godhead, he would have been the word is God. It still is. Did God quit being the word or did the word quit being God? Why is this in the past tense? The word was God. My answer to the past tense, like I mentioned previously, that the author sees the events of Jesus's life that he is about to describe in the whole gospel as something that is done. It's been accomplished. The life of Jesus was an event that happened in real time and space. And that's important because he wants to insist this is reality. This is how God has spoken to us. That's why, in my understanding, he can say in the past tense here, it's something that was. It happened already. It's an event revelation. I'll put it that way. So. It's very important. Let's not forget that this is in the past tense. You can't say that this is referring to Jesus as a second person of the Godhead, because then you have to say that he ceased to be God. He was God. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point, Bill, because it, it goes back to what we've been saying, that the, the, the author's focus is primarily on the period of time that's elaborated throughout the rest of the book. That's what he's introducing. 
And so we shouldn't be concerned that he uses the imperfect tense there because in John 1, 1, because he's relating his understanding of what Jesus was doing and who he was during the time that he and his companions, the apostles, were with him. And that's what's they're learning and, and explaining throughout the rest of the book. And I think it ties back into John 1.18. You know, we keep going back to that because it's almost like a, a bookend at the other end of the prologue that helps to clarify the first verse. You know, no one has seen God at any time. That's still true, right, at the time of writing. He who is in the bosom of the Father, which is now true from the writer's perspective because Jesus has ascended to be with the Father. Present tense, yeah. And is an advocate there. And then we go back to that past tense again. He has explained him or the one who is now in the bosom of the father explain the father so that takes us back again seemingly to when they were with him during his public ministry and he told them so many things that the father wanted disclosed to his disciples and to the rest of the people so there's you know this interplay that we've talked about between the present and the past tense i think just occurs because like you said the writer is looking back and summarizing his understanding of what Jesus began to do and teach and continued to do and teach and was finally realized through his death and resurrection and eventually when he ascended into heaven. Mm -hmm. The way I understand this phrase, somewhat less easy to understand phrase, the word was God. Because I, like I said, I don't think it's, it's not an ontological statement. There's way too many problems to say this is an ontological statement, that there's another God person. But rather, I would understand it this way, that Jesus was God's statement. Jesus was God's revelation, as we just talked about in 118, whereas Hebrews 1.1 says, God has now spoken to us in the Son. Jesus was God's word. Jesus was God speaking. Jesus was God at work in the world. Jesus was the epitome of God speaking to us. The human being, Jesus, as it says in 114, the human being, Jesus, is the ultimate word or declaration of God. So the word was God's word, God at work. God was manifest, revealed in Jesus, his word. So to me, this is why John can say the word was God. And I like to give this little analogy. A couple of Israelites that passed through the Reed Sea with Moses. They've got two walls of water on either side, and they go through on dry land with this Egyptian army behind them, and they're experiencing this amazing salvation, and they get to the other side of the shores of the Reed Sea, and they're, they're on the eastern shore, and they turn around, and they see the Egyptian army coming in, and all of a sudden these waters rush back together, and bodies of the Egyptian soldiers are floating up along the side of the shore and one Jewish guy turns to the other Jewish guy and he says that was God see the parallel it's an event in which God of the scriptures was revealed John can look back and say the whole life of Jesus that was God that's why I understand John 1 1 see I agree with what you said earlier. I think your main point is that there's no reason to take this in an ontological sense or to 
suggest that the writer is saying that and the word was God means and the word had the divine essence or was of the same substance as the father. You know, that kind of theological jargon is all interpretive and much of it was added much later on and doesn't even correspond to the way any of the apostolic writers spoke about Jesus. What we run into in John 1.1 is the language is so concise. So let me put it this way. I agree with you that the speaking is the most important thing because it's the word. And the word is the verbal expression that's originating from a particular person. And that ties into John 1.18 where this only begotten explains the Father. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that that's the primary thing. Yeah. My take on John 1.1 is that the word was God, is that Jesus, when he was on earth, was given full authority and full revelation from God to reveal to the people. So in effect, he was equal with God in a lot of ways. He was, what he said was God's word. What he did was God's works. So that's how I look at it. I look at it as being a, just a statement of equality with God, a man being associated with the title God, the Anarthra's title God, is not something that they couldn't conceive of at that time. You're saying that who Jesus is, is God at work. Isn't that basically what you're saying? Yes, but I think it's important not to get the two individuals convoluted because you have to maintain the father-son distinction. For me, there's no conflation between God the Father and Jesus Christ the human Messiah. I keep coming back to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This statement, and the word was God in John 1, 1, is parallel. The author of the book of Hebrews beginning where he says, In many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through a son. So when you look and you hear and you see who Jesus was and what he did and what he said, that's God. God was at work in this one. It's the whole idea of event revelation. The scriptures are describing for us in the main, the Bible is a historical narrative. Here is what happened. Now, Israel, Deuteronomy 4 is a good example. Now, Israel, you can know who Yahweh is by what happened. There's no other God that chose the people and brought them out from slavery and through the Red Sea. There's no, this does not happen. You can ask anybody else from the time past to the present day. This is a unique event. Now you can know Yahweh, who Yahweh is. And that's exactly what I see going on with Jesus. The life of Jesus is a event revelation of who God is. And revelation very easily go then to the idea of the word, God speaking. To me, it, it makes good sense. Here's another thing. The word theos, God, is used 1,300 times in the New Testament, approximately. and how many times is that a reference to Jesus? I mean, you're down to a small handful, maybe. Which are all disputable. Small, yeah. yeah, and with that small handful, you've got, you eliminate more of those because there's textual variant. 
And now you're getting down to about two places where maybe Jesus is called God. And you're going to make him God from those two places. It right. just, I mean, it doesn't make sense. It, you know, 1,300 times where God in the New Testament means the Father. It never means the Trinity. I can't find any. Nobody's ever told me, oh, here, that verse in John means the Trinity. Right. So this whole idea of making a huge theology of a possible place in John 1-1-C, where the word was called God, or the word was God, to now make him God, it just, it's bad biblical exegesis. Why am I saying all that? Again, I think there's a better way to understand this passage. A whole life of Jesus. This was an event where God spoke. This was God speaking. This was God. In future podcasts, we intend to continue with an exposition of John 1, verses 1 through 18. We didn't rush on John 1, 1, but we do hope to cover a bit more ground in the rest of the prologue. Here's a question to ponder. Does John 1, 3 declare that Jesus is the creator of the universe? This is Bill Schlegel for the One God Report podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it and write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That will help others to find us and share the podcast on social media. For constructive discussion, you are welcome to join the One God Report Facebook group. Yishma'u anavim ve'yishma'u. The humble will hear and rejoice.